Welcome to the Tree Church Bible Study. My name is Chris Reed, and I'm the Director of Biblical Education here at the Tree. And I just want to welcome you to this podcast. We are really glad that you're joining us and taking your pursuit of understanding the Bible seriously. And so thank you so much for listening. We love having these conversations. We hope that they're beneficial and helpful to you. And uh, today we have a good conversation in store for you. And, and, and though I said last week's was probably my favorite conversation by far, this week's we tackle one of the toughest passages in the New Testament to understand. And so I'm excited for this, pa- for this Bible study as well so that, so that we can grow and understand what the Bible has to say to us, even in those difficult portions uh, where we read and, 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 and it's just tricky to understand. So join me today for our conversation as we tackle Hebrews chapter 5 and chapter 6. Are you looking to take the next step in your faith journey? Baptism is coming up. Join us for one of our two orientation classes to learn more about baptism and what it looks like at the tree. Classes are November 20th at 9 a.m. and November 27th at 11 a.m. Register on the Tree Church app. Well, hey guys, welcome back to the Tree Church Bible Study. Michael, really glad you're here today. Yeah, thanks, thanks for joining for us. Me, man. Pastor Matthew, it's always good to have you here. I always love being here. Uh, we got a good one in store for us today. We're going to be talking about one of the most difficult passages <laughs> in the Bible to interpret. So yeah, yes, yes. Uh, we're going to be breaking that down and talking about that. So it's going to be a good time. But uh, let's just start with a couple lighthearted questions. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. And yes, you have to answer it the way that I ask it. Okay. Your favorite song ever. I've been thinking just of, one. I've been thinking about this for the last, like, when I saw you post this, I thought about it nonstop. And I've already changed my answer four times. But as of right now, this moment, it's a song called Ooh La La by The Faces. It came out in 1979. Okay. It's also, I didn't know this so recently. It, it's Rod Stewart before he was like Rod Stewart as we know him. He was in a band called The Faces, and it's really good. Yes, probably I my know fa- that song. Probably my favorite of all time. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, you're going to think I'm making a joke, and I'm really not. Uh, it is Haunted House by Mudhouse Music. Get out of here. I'm dead serious. <laughs> Mike, Michael wrote a song uh, now, probably two years ago, three Pro- years probably ago. Probably two, yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, Sent it to me. I was on vacation, and uh, I've, I've told this all to Michael before, but I had a very surreal moment where it felt like someone wrote a song by reading my thoughts. And it, I had such a – it was a very strange feeling. It was emotional. I l- listened to it on repeat, like, just over and over again. Uh, it was both haunting – that's the name of the song – but <laughs> haunting, but also comforting, and it's just a, a great song. Uh, and it is, without question, my favorite individual song. That awesome. is very kind, and you can find it on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you really my, can't. What, Mudhouse Music, right? Yeah, yeah. Mudhouse, yeah. Mudhouse, yeah. Mine is O'Death. Um, not by the Tree Church Music, though, but by... Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, my... Fi- like, dang, ice cold, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I love that song, and I, I love, love the song, version man. that you guys do. So, oh, that, thanks, man. But um, my favorite song is Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Oh, that's uh, a great song. song. Ever, that, so. I have a playlist on Spotify called All Timers, and that's on that, where it's just my just, all-time favorite songs. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, I love that. There's probably about two or three that on the on the Foo Fighters, on that album that go yeah. into my top ten yeah. just favorite songs ever. All right, you didn't ask this, but can I tell you my favorite album, album yeah, of all time? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Octune Baby by... Uh, um, I don't know if I'm even pronouncing that right, because uh, a friend of mine pronounces it differently. But Ash Tongue is how I've heard okay, it. Okay, Ash Tongue. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm sorry. As a kid, I repronounced it that way uh, by YouTube. It's the only album I've ever heard in my life that I genuinely like every single song on it. 
So, so like I never so fast good. forward a song on that, and that's very rare. You know, no like skips. Yeah, yeah. Almost every album, you're yeah. like, you know, there's a couple on Got there, and fillers. you're like, yeah. yeah. That's one I listen to it all the way through every single time and love it just the same. Yeah, super. Michael, good. favorite album? Yeah, I was actually just talking about this yesterday. I think it's um, Twenty Two a Million by Bonnie Vare. So he Bonnie Vare he wrote like folk music. So he he mm-hmm. almost like he popped off at the right time. Like Mumford and Sons just won a Grammy. And he got sick with pneumonia and I think lost his job and just went to his, he wasn't famous, went to his dad's cabin in Minnesota and stayed there for like three months just because he was broke and he was sick and just like trying to recover and made a beautiful folk album. And then everyone was so excited. He won a Grammy. It was a big deal. They've made fun of it on SNL. Like he just went from obscurity to so famous. I actually remember that. Yeah. Super good. And then he came out with an album called 22 million and I hated it when it first came out because <laughs> it wasn't folk music. It was like kind of folky, but electronic at the yeah. same time. With time though, it's become that's one no skips. I can listen to the whole thing. Cool. Favorite album of all time. Yeah, I had, I, I was having to look mine up because like I, I'm like there's an album that I've been listening to over and over and over again the full thing, but I couldn't remember what it was. Um, so the Wu Tang Clan? No, <laughs> it's close. <laughs> Not Wu Tang. Uh, it's actually MXPX's newest live album. And oh nice! Like I just you are all in on you MXPX. love MXPX. I like them. I, <laughs> it's the gauge earrings. You just have no, to like MXPX. Man, I like punk music. I, I like hard yeah, rock music, and so uh, they were the band that that I listened to growing up. And so sure. that, there's there's a little bit of nostalgia with sure. it too. Yeah. So, um, but their songs like are they just pump me up. So like I can listen to that entire album clear through yeah. multiple times in a row. Have you ever heard the Abbott Brothers? Yes, they have a their album True Sadness. Is yes, also up there. that's another maybe one of the best albums ever made. Like yeah. not even my taste, like objectively, mm-hmm. unbelievable. That yeah, was a really good. One also, too. Um, Jimmy Eat World, The Phoenix Sessions, Clarity. Yeah, never heard it. Oh, phenomenal. I know. I know their one. I actually just talked about this with a friend yesterday. You know their first album. It, it's untitled now. It's just a picture, and it says Jimmy Eat World was going to be called Bleed American, and it was set to come out. I don't even know why. Their meaning wasn't even anything political. It's not a poli- they're not a political yeah. band. It was just something about just like, it's an emo album. It's like one of the first ever emo right. albums. I have that set album. To, it, Yeah. It was, it, now it's untitled though because it was set to come out on September 12th. Uh, Ooh. Yeah. Of, of that year, right? Of 2001. Yeah. You know, the marketing department was like, Stop! Cancel it. Yeah. <laughs> Cancel it. Cancel that. So they had to yeah. reprint everything with no name on it because it's like, boy, is that not sensitive right now? Yeah. I didn't, really, I didn't yeah. learn that that till recently. Yeah. That, that that one also has some of my the up mid- their middles songs. on yeah. it. It's a great album. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, next question, and then we'll get going because we've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, most beautiful place you have ever been? Hawaii. I went there when I was in high school. Um, I actually got sick and had to have uh, my appendix out while I was there, so that's a bummer. But we were there for two weeks. First week, <laughs> I was <terrible>. healthy. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not- yeah, then I had surgery, and uh, the second week, I just laid out. That's all I could do. My brother Daniel helped me down to the beach. Um, at the time I thought he was being nice to me, but I realized he was using me as an excuse cause he didn't want to do any of the tourist stuff. Nice. So like he just helped me down to the beach <laughs> and, and I tan really well. So I basically came back like a completely different nationality. I mean, I looked nice. physically different, but, uh, yeah, but still just the most beautiful place. And it's, I want to go back. Mary and I were going to go back for our 20th, but it was, it was, uh, our 20th was, uh, 2021 mm. and it was still like, had Shaky that times. Yeah. And yeah. it was that like, yeah, Hawaii, you had to like test positive or test negative to get in. And mm-hmm. then a lot of things were still shut down and you're like, it's not a place you want to go to right. where it's yeah. like limited open, but yeah. yeah, for sure. I think mine's probably Puerto Rico. Um, my wife's family's from Puerto Rico. So we went to go visit them and it was cool. Cause we got to see, I kind of want to go back and do the tourist side of Puerto Rico. Cause I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't experienced that. But we legitimately went and stayed up in the mountains. And this was like a year after the hurricane where the infrastructure is still not great. So there's still no power, no water. Like, it's really wild. That's crazy. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, but we went and stayed up in the mountains. Her whole family basically owns a mountain in Puerto Rico. They're all just like 
you know, they all have different homes up there and they're all farmers. And so we stayed up there for a week and it was unbelievably beautiful. It was crazy to live like mm -hmm. that for a week. You know, just mm -hmm. no one has AC either. Oh, that's rough. It's just not like commonplace like it is in America. Mm -hmm. And it's also very hot in Puerto Rico. Um, but it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my entire life. Yeah. Yeah. Man, uh, the mountains of Western China were, were probably one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Chris Reed's better than everybody else. No, 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 no. <laughs> like, I love mountains. Like, and that was my first ever, like, true, like, sure, true mountain experience. Like, better like, than Mount Pleasant here? Yeah. <laughs> it's close. Oh, Mount Pleasant's I mean, pretty great. It's close. But, like, to see snow caps for the first time, wow. like, and to really, like, mm -hmm. like, be in the mountains like yeah. i was like this is phenomenal you know, it's, it's terrifying i wouldn't have even known that china had i know so little oh, yeah. about i didn't even you know so it know borders Myanmar and um like tibet and that like the lower western uh side of it is connected to the himalayas oh, so okay Very so cool. you can mm -hmm. see the himalayas from china wow. so. and china has is so diverse in its land that like china has desert China uh -huh. has no like way. everything yeah. the gobi like, is in, in, in yeah. part of the gobi is in china but then also like so that whole trip, th that trip, we started in tropical and ended up with like fir, like pine tree. No way. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. in the mountains. Like, How cool is that? Yeah. yeah. So cool. like they were growing coffee beans in this one place. And I'm like, you can't grow coffee beans. Like, but yeah. it's like, almost like, think like Sri Lanka, like, uh, like, like high, like very like dense forest type stuff. Wow. All the way to mountains, like all along this one road. Like it was crazy. Cool. Like you could watch it change as you were yeah. driving. Lancaster's pretty cool. We got some trees. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, got a couple hills. I'm not going to lie though. Like some of my favorite places to be, th there's a spot on 37 that you're driving down and you look over like, and there's just these fields with rolling hills. Oh, totally. I think I it's exactly gorgeous. Yeah. Like beautiful. Totally. Like my backyard, like looking out across Your backyard's beautiful. Our, our deck yeah. and we get a sunset every oh, night. Yeah. Like, Lancaster, I mean, we're joking, but Lancaster and like the surrounding areas are yeah. very, very pretty. Yeah. yeah. Stunning. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on such flat Detroit. I mean, it's just like buildings and flat. Yeah. It's all on a grid, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. yeah. I grew up in Akron and I remember being so confused the first time we traveled. I don't remember where we were traveling to, but it was out of state. And I just only ever really been in Akron and Canton. And so I thought that that's just you did like not what see Ohio much. was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just thought it was cities. And we drove for hours and it was just more of nothing all mm -hmm. around. And yeah. I just thought, like, I was really young. I just thought, like, I just thought that everything was like city, 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 city. You know, I didn't know yeah. that it's like Ohio has a lot of beautiful rolling, rolling yeah. hills and like yeah. greenery. In my head, it was just all city all the time. But I was in Akron last week uh, for the very first time. I didn't realize it's like a city. Yeah. It's a big city. Yeah. So if someone says Akron, I picture like it, if you were to say, like, um, you know, like Pickerington, you know what I mean? Like, sure, sure. like just more of like, when you say city, it's just a bunch yeah. of businesses, but I mean, it's actual, there's like 150,000 people there. There's okay. I didn't realize that. Yeah, so like we drove through it and yeah. yeah. And we saw LeBron school and yeah. yeah which and that high school is really cool. Yeah. yeah. And he built it, built it like right across the street from the high school he graduated from. On him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of felt like, I'm like, that feels odd. Yeah. 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 And that's, that school is cool too. Cause if you live within X amount of block radius, you can go for free. Otherwise, cool. Other than that, it's a private school, but just in that specific area, you can go to his school. For free. That's, cool. that's sweet. Yeah. I did not realize he built a school. He did in high school. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. I think it's one of the, the dream something. I don't remember. He's oh, still okay. rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> he's still second rate. Yeah, he's still oh, as good as Jordan. <laughs> the Lakers are terrible. <laughs> and on that note, let's talk about Jesus. So, all right. <laughs> um, uh, so, all right, so just to catch us up and give us context for where we're at in the book, we're, we're about five chapters in now. Things we've been talking about, things that have kind of hit home, just so we have context for what we're about to, to walk through. So the, the writer of Hebrews has, has established and has, has proclaimed that Jesus is both God and man, that he's greater than the angels, that 
Um, he is the fulfillment of all that Moses represented in the law and the, the word of God revealed that he is the greater high priest, that he is the one who's fulfilling what the role that the high priest was supposed to, to fulfill, um, and that his, his sacrifice, that his obedience, that all of these things were completed in who Jesus was. So this is what the main point that the, the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across to his people, because seeing Jesus as those things is to create a response in them. It's to create a a level of staying faithful and, and, and obedient to, I'm assuming they're going through struggles, they're right. facing some persecution, um, and they're, they're just facing hard times. And, and so because Jesus was all of these things, the, the consequences or the results of that is that there's hope for salvation, that sins have been forgiven, that they can be reunited with God in the hope of finding that, that eternal rest, that shalom, that, that the Bible is offering, and all of that is available through Jesus. Mm -hmm. So he wants them to hold fast to their faith and to stay faithful and to continue to grow in their relationship with Jesus. So that brings us up to the point of where we're going to read today. And so he is continuing to give us and to give the, the readers uh, of this book insight into that if you don't pay attention to this, if you, if you don't key in and remain faithful to who Jesus is, there are consequences there's going to be a warning and and that's what he's going to give us today is a warning into like you need to take your faith seriously and you need to stay faithful through these difficult uh, difficult times you're facing so that brings us up to um the verse 11 which we're going to pick up today <coughs> do you guys have any other insights that you want to remind no, us great, of great summary all right cool so here's where, where we're at we're verse cha or chapter 5 verse 11 and we're just going to pick up reading here so about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right. Um, the, the writer of Hebrews goes from like, here's all these wonderful things about Jesus to you guys, uh, what is going on? You, you've not, <laughs> you've not done what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you're immature in your faith. You become dull. You, he's actually quoting Michael. He's like, people, <laughs> they're the worst. People are just the worst. <laughs> Y'all are dumb. <laughs> people, people are just, so, but, but what he's doing, he's, he's really giving this like cold dose of like, okay, right. so here's the reality of the situation that we're right. in. God has done all these things for you. You're not responding to the level of faith that he's calling you to. Right. Now, have you guys ever had a moment where like you've had this cold dose of reality where like it, th those things sound rough and I don't think anybody ever wants to, nobody wants to be given the warning, right? Yeah. But have you guys ever had a moment where the warning was a helpful thing? Oh yeah. All the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like that was like for probably for the first 42 years of my life. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> No, like, you know, where this kind of plays out for me is in my marriage, where um, th this is this is honestly one of the most frustrating things about my marriage. And uh, so everyone, like, just leans in, you know. What was that? It's one of the most frustrating things, but it's one of the most necessary things. This just happened this past week. The, that Not an exaggeration. Um, Mary and I, when we're talking about our marriage and we're talking about our frustrations and, and like we're real purpose, like we, we talk about stuff. We, we're not, we don't sweep stuff under the rug. Like if you're annoyed, let's talk about it. 
And one of the things that is like so evident in our marriage is that there are things that I wish Mary did better and there are things she wish I did better. So we're both, we know those things. And there is a common, I would say this is a common truth or reality in our marriage. We both think we're doing awesome. <laughs> and then we yeah. have a conversation where the other person goes, no, yeah. I'm still frustrated by that behavior. And we both at first try to defend ourselves by going, but I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. You know, we go back and forth mm -hmm. thinking like we're crushing it. And then the other person goes, I know, but you didn't do this, 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 and this is what I need. And like, there's that conversation. There's that, do you guys, yeah. your marriage is totally, okay. 100%. Those moments are infuriating in some ways because you're like, ah, you know, I think mm -hmm. I'm crushing it. So like it's pride crushing or whatever. It's annoying because you, you know, all those things. But if you have the right heart, you go, you pause and go, okay. I'm going to do better. Yeah. You know, and like even one of the, the opening questions that you didn't ask today because of time, Chris, was like, what's one of the things that like one change you've made in your life uh, recently for the better or something? Sorry, like that? I should have come with that question. No, it's okay. <laughs> I just, I, in light of that, it's like, but one of them, like, I'm not saying this for like people who pat me on the back. It's the change I made is I want to be a better husband. Yeah. So like, I always want to be a good husband, but that's a conscious decision that I have to keep making going. Right. Okay. I thought I was doing good. I wasn't. I want to be a better husband. So I have to make changes because of what was exposed. Again, I hate those conversations, but mm -hmm. the fruit of them is wonderful. Yeah. No, I think, I think marriage is such an easy example of that to where the amount of times that I'll even be very arrogant in thinking like I have this one figured out, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Where mm -hmm. I'm so sure. I feel like sometimes things in my head are like puzzles and I'll try to solve it before I even get into a conversation. I'm like, okay, this could happen. The conversation could go this way. <laughs> I'm thinking this, Gina will probably say this. Right. Even earlier in our marriage, I would find myself arguing with myself in front of her in real time from her position. So I would make a point. I don't do it anymore, but I'd make a point. I'd like, I, know <laughs> I feel like that's a bad move, man. It's all, it's, it, yeah. yeah, speaking for them. Yeah. Is, that's great, Michael. Yeah, great. Do that more. People love that. <laughs> <laughs> but I was literally in this place of like, like I would say, I would say something, and I'd be like, oh, "Well, I know you're thinking this," <laughs> and like, and, yeah. and my thought to that is because you know, and I'm literally trying to work it out in real time. But that, that almost feels like a TikTok video to me now. <laughs> like it's so silly that but you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, literally playing chess against myself from the yeah. while my wife is just laughing like you're yeah. <clears throat> you're ridiculous. But the amount of times like I'll think I'll have it all figured out. Like mm -hmm. I'll try to solve the puzzle even before I engage in a conversation. And all it takes is one person to say, like, whether it be my wife or anybody, to say one thing a little differently for me to be like, oh, I'm wrong. Right. <laughs> like, uh, okay, you got me there. Yeah, nothing's Anything. worse is when you're on your high horse and someone yeah. just knocks you, you right off. Really you're really confident. Like, but that, <laughs> yeah. That's what this passage makes me think of. They're probably yeah. in confidence thinking like, yep, doing it well. And just be confronted very directly that like, yeah. no, you need to be humble. You need to take a step back and understand like we're you need to go back to square one is what it feels like. You need to be you mm -hmm. know drinking milk, not eating food. It's definitely yeah. humbling, but... But from that place, I, I've only, if you approach it correctly without anger, with an open mind, I, I've only gotten better from it, you know, mm -hmm. yeah. maybe angry at first and sad, but then better, you know? Yeah. I, I remember, um, I very clearly remember it because it was a life-changing moment for me, but I remember, and I, I hope it's okay to share this, but there was, there was conversations that we had very early on in my employment with mm -hmm. the, with the church where it was one of those, like, if, if this doesn't change, like right. they, your employment will change. Like and, and last so, week, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> um, but like yeah. it was early on in becoming a leader and not quite sure what right. I was not quite sure how to play it out, whatnot, but thinking that I was playing it out. And, and I remember that conversation. I remember that conversation regularly just because I'm like, man, I don't ever want to get there again. Like right. I don't ever want to be in that place again, but wow. it, it was a it was a moment where it was like, oh 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 yeah, like I need to make this adjustment. I need to do these things mm -hmm. 
to, to make this change so that not because like, not, I don't, how do I, not because I'm bad as a person, but because right. like th these things that I'm doing is not leading to the result that, that mm -hmm. we want, you know what I mean? Wow, or right. these things that I, that I lack doing. And so like, and so it was a, it was that moment of like realizing, oh, like it's okay to be adjusted. It's okay to be right. changed for the good of yeah. what would result. Yeah. And you, I mean, years later, it's right. I was gonna say you've modeled that perfectly though. Cause that was what? 13 or 12 years, ago. 12 years ago. I mean, that was yeah. a long time ago. That was early on. Um, since you brought it up, um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not like, you know, spilling information or whatever, but like the, uh, we met on a Thursday and I basically said on Monday, you're going to change or you're going to resign. Yeah. I didn't basically, that's what I said. That's exactly what I was like, I but it was like, I was just saying like, you have to, you have to come to terms with your calling, right? Yeah. Like you were called to do this. I want you to do this. But, and you came to me on Sunday. So you even wait till Monday, you came on Sunday and you're like, I'm all in never again did we have an issue. Right. Like literally, exactly. like, I'm not exaggerating in that. Never again, you you just lived in your calling, comfortable to where you are today, to where we often say like, like the staff, like this staff who came later doesn't even know that right. person. Right. right. Like, so like you at times reference that as if it's like an ongoing reality and people are like, I don't even know who right. you're talking yeah. about, Chris. And, but that's a good example of like, sometimes people get challenged and then they go into like defeatist mode where they're like, oh, yeah. woe is me and stuff. Yeah. And you're like, you're not changing. And yeah. so yeah. so now that correction was of no value. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, we, we all have to be challenged. Every single one of us, we have to be challenged by each other. And the moment that you have a hard heart, you're just, you're done. Like yeah. if you don't take in new information, if you don't take correction. And, and what's interesting is like the writer of Hebrews is saying this, um, Paul said the exact same thing. I mean, right. they're, they're probably even friends to some capacity because they're using like the same language or they at least reference the same information. Right. But Paul had to address it with the church in Corinth. Like the, if you ever read first Corinthians, it's <laughs> basically like the, the worst church ever. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. And so Paul is writing to Christians saying like, Hey, basically like, Hey, I, I love you guys, but you're the worst. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, and he challenges them, challenges them so that they will. And then what's interesting is there's another letter that comes after. So like, that was actually the second letter. The, what we have is Second Corinthians is actually probably the fourth letter, and there's probably mo more after that. So he stayed in relationship, yeah, right? So like he right. chews them out, and they're not like, forget you, Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, but so yeah, it, that's just a necessary yeah, part. Yeah, and I think the fear is like war correction means that they no longer it, like correction equals rejection. Right. I think is the fear, and yeah. and I think yeah, well if said. we can get past that, God and that that. Like even like church discipline, like the so your pastors, the, your yeah, spouse, the pastor, right. your spouse. The the correction is to bring life. Correction's not to reject, and I yeah, think that's that's, that's a hard thing for people to get past. I think it and, is. And, yeah. and so, um, and so what the writer of Hebrews is correcting is their their lack of motivation or their lack of response in their maturing. He says you've become dull. Like so, he right. tells them earlier, like don't have hard hearts. Don't don't let your hearts be hardened. And, and essentially he's, he's come to the point of like, listen, like you're not growing in the way that, that mm -hmm. you should be growing. You've become stagnant. You become dull. You're not hearing what God has to say and you're not being obedient. So you're not doing the things that he's saying. What, what are some things that you would say dull us or keep us from that ability? Like we've talked about being corrected. Why? Like, why do we need corrected? Yeah. Well, in my experience, oftentimes people are very rarely, at least the, the people that I usually hang out with, are doing the wrong thing on purpose. 
And I think that's a big part of it. So it's yeah. like, usually people aren't just like, well, I'm actively doing the wrong thing because I want to be a bad person. Right. You need people in your life to hold a mirror up to you and say, this is broken. Mm-hmm. You need to be confronted in that. It's like the whole no better, do better. If you don't know better, it's hard to do better. Like the yeah. amount of times like, right. well, if I would have known that, I would have operated differently. And that's where this is so valuable. It's like, if I could have done that on my own, I absolutely would have done that on my own. Like mm-hmm. the amount of time that I need somebody in my life and require someone in my life who loves me enough to say, this is broken. Where you and I had a conversation this Sunday where you literally sat me down out of nowhere. I wasn't like emotionally ready for it. And you sat I'm me down. I'm sorry. Like, you know, it's okay. And you're just yeah. like, how are you? And I'm like, all right, <laughs> like, here we go. Yeah. We had a real talk about it. It was just like a really good conversation. And like, you need people to hold that mirror up in front of you, you know? And I think that's one of those things that help, that prevent us from ever getting to that place of maturity is if every time you're confronted in your brokenness, if you put your fists up and say, no, cause I don't want to feel, because it does feel bad. Yeah. Right. You know, it's not fun. You put your fists up and you're just like, nope, you know, I don't want this. I don't want to engage in this. You never get to that good place of growth of understanding of like, oh, I needed to be exposed to some stuff. I needed to see some stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, the the thing that has hindered me the most in my life, especially when I was immature, um, was if I could disqualify whoever was speaking in my mind, mm-hmm. then I would. So like if, if someone came to me, like in my mind, I could be like, wow. well, they're they're not good at this or that, or they're just doing it because they're they're jealous of me or they're just you know, whatever, right. if I could disqualify them in my mind, I would ignore it. So like really the, the root cause of that is pride. And I think pride is the number one thing that hinders us from taking correction. Yeah. And I had to learn to like, I had other pastors that would say stuff like, you know, where people would criticize them or, you know, write in an email or make a post and, and they would say, you know, I just, I try to learn from every criticism. And I remember being young in ministry thinking, what? Yeah. Because I wouldn't, I would, I would disregard every criticism. And so like, if I could find a way to just argue or disqualify you, then I'd be like, ah, no, no, I'm still good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and when I made that shift that I was like, you know what, some criticism is valid. Some might be invalid, but there might be some truth to it. And then mm-hmm. some that's even invalid completely. I can still learn how I'm coming across. So I even had an email this past week that someone sent in friend of the church, nice people, um, sent in, and there's a there's an example I use when I teach on money that came across as insensitive to those who might be poor, and uh, obviously, and this person knew it. I didn't mean it that way. I was no. not. I, I was talking about like the poverty line and and, uh, and and how the poverty line in America, in comparison to three quarters of the world, is considered prosperity. And right. it comes across as I'm saying like if you're in poverty, like it's not really that bad because three quarters of sure. the world. And I was like, oh man, sure. well I never meant that, right? Right. So like as soon as I read it, like I wasn't defensive and stuff, but I was like the old me might've been, the yeah. old me might've been like, you listened to a 45 minute teaching and that's what you got out of it. Yeah. And like, you know what I meant? You know, like yeah. I, when I say the old me, I'm talking like 20 years ago, me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And so now I go like immediately when I get an email, my heart just has to stay open. Like, okay, wh- what can I learn from that? And I was like, oh, you know what? I can make the same point that I was trying to make with a different analogy and never offend anyone. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to change my, my, verbiage in that you know what i mean so like just having that posture where we go like oh no we can learn from everybody yeah i i have sorry no go ahead i have such a specific memory right after i started working here i was in like uh it had to have been literally week one and i was just like basically shadowing like a director meeting and i was like really trying to figure it out it was even a pastor meeting and you brought up an email from someone in the church this would have been like seven and a half years ago now an email from someone in the church that was scathing and it was Mm -hmm. just basically I'm not, I don't even want to go into assumptions in case, you know, this, this person would, would potentially hear this. Cause it's not about that, you know, but a scathing email about all this stuff. And I'll never forget. It was like my first experience in ministry of someone taking the time to read it and literally saying, all right, what in this applies and how do we change it? Mm-hmm. Knowing that a good mm-hmm. quarter of it, half of it, maybe three fourths of it does not apply. Like this right. is obviously someone who's hurt. 
They're communicating communicating from a place of church hurt. Right. They later on recognize that, you know. Right. But I, I'll never forget my mind. I was like 23 years old. My mind was blown of like, oh, I would have thrown that email away. Like, you right. know, the, the second yeah. he's like things in that email that aren't valid. I'm like, oh, you're obviously hurt. This is not my fault. Like you're now you're, you know, kicking the dog. This isn't cool. You you had such a, a, a pastoral heart care perspective of like, okay, but what about this? And you literally went into systems mode. Okay, well, I need to go talk about this. Maybe we can do this mm -hmm. better, make people feel more welcome. And it was like, it was, it blew my mind because I hadn't been exposed right. to that yet. And then it, it working in a place like this over the years, it's made me feel very comfortable accepting critique then because, mm -hmm. because I saw you do it in a way that didn't threaten your, um, your worth or your value. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it, it's not like you were a failure. It's not like, Oh, now maybe I'm not called into ministry. I didn't see you go into self doubt mode. I saw you mm -hmm. just say like, well, okay, what can I, what can I change from this to make it better? Yeah. And there's so much power in that. And like I said, the mm -hmm. moment that you put your fists up or you discard something, you throw it away, you miss out on the good part of growth. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then if you go like 20 years without doing that, how much missed potential? If mm -hmm. you disqualify everything, if you fight back to everything and yeah, I mean, it's, that's been a game changer for me working here is just understanding this truth of like, no, this is something to welcome, not something to run, run from. Yeah. I think too, on a, on a practical side of, of allowing our hearts to be dulled on a practical side, like even in a simpler way, like I think, we live in a culture that that keeps us busy enough that it's easy to misprioritize and to um, mm. to not have the the energy to mm -hmm. put into what the writer of Hebrews is going to call us right. into. Like, I, I, there's a level of 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 dullness that comes from just being comfortable doing what we do in our lives because we've all said it. Like, correction. Is, it hurts at times, but mm -hmm. it, and it takes effort to come to that place where we overcome it, and and so like if we want to avoid that, like if if that's something that we don't have time to process through, if if we're just busy doing everything else and we just kind of uh, mindlessly kind of keep ourselves mm -hmm. in a place where we're never willing to go to that place, right. I, I think it that that ha hampers our growth in Christ. Like it, like I I think of how many times, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say myself as guilty of something that, um, and not as a pastor, but like, particularly when I was a, just a Christian, like the whole idea of, of going, hearing a message on Sunday morning and then never processing it ever again, like right. just because, not because of, I don't want to think about it, but just because you go right back into, go right back into the rhythm of life. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I think on a practical level, the busyness of our schedules and, um, even misprioritizing that, 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 the calling to to be faithful to God, the calling to to be a disciple, requires more mm -hmm. than just plugging Christ into parts of our right. life. Yeah. So everything you said is so so well said, Chris. The like so if you look at our our discipleship strategy here at the church, we want to get people into purposed relationships, and the uh -huh. concept is purposed relationships are are people that are heading in the same direction toward Christ, mm -hmm. with the idea that in that on that pathway they're going to encourage each other, challenge each other, hold each other accountable, like a lot of support each other, a lot of things in that. So like how it practically plays out is for our connect groups, we want to get people into small groups. A lot of people that's probably their first time in their life that they're in a group where together they're challenging each other to get better. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. there's just a, like it's just not a modern yeah. phenomenon in our culture. I mean, it's not a, a not a modern phenomenon, not, not a reality in it's our not, culture. It's not a cultural standard. Not a common yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Where yeah. people are like, here, let's get together <laughs> and like let's just try to be better. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so that is a that is a biblical concept that doesn't fit in the world. So like in the world, the closest mm -hmm. thing is you're gonna do a job review, maybe with a boss or you know, overseer, manager. Mm -hmm. 
once a year, right. maybe, maybe a little bit more than that. But besides that, no one is inviting critique. Yeah. You know, like no mm-hmm. one, like you think about even on social media, no one's like, oh, goodness. hey, this is what I did this week. What do you guys think? Like, was yeah. that right or wrong? People want to offer up critique a lot on right. social media, but no one's asking for it. Right. You know? Even how people post up on social media, yeah. isn't it like, you'll never believe what I had to do because of this moron, right. you know? And right. then they want people to like it and support them. Validate and them. almost, yeah. And then, yeah. So, and, 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 and let's just be clear. Social media is not the safest place no, to, absolutely to ask not. for critique. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's fair. I don't know that that's the answer either. But but I would say, like, when you were asking what dolls us is not creating space where we can be critiqued. Right. So like right. Michael said earlier on, if you every time so, someone tries to, to do it and you meet them with fist, like the term I use is like, if I have to buck up to talk to you, yeah. I'll quit talking to you. Yeah. So like if I had employees that I couldn't correct, and so like every time I want to come in and, and talk, you know, critique something, if I have to buck up, you're losing your job because mm-hmm. I'm not bucking up to talk to people. That's not our culture. We have a culture of critique. We have a culture where mm-hmm. we're best idea wins. And so like if we can stay humble and this is what we have created, yeah. but it's a learning curve. Yeah. And so now even like new hires, we, we prep them and prep them and prep them and then teach them because we're like, this is our culture. We're mm-hmm. going to challenge each other, encourage each other. Uh, but it is a learned thing. It's an invited thing. It's not a natural thing. Right. No. And I think people find a lot of natural organic ways to, you know, we're talking about almost like aggressive language, like, well, now I have to buck up to talk to you. You're going to argue or, you know, we're going to have this fist up thing. But you know what else does the same thing? And I found myself early on in my marriage doing this often is victimizing myself as a way right. out. Absolutely. Yeah. So Gina would almost feel like she has to walk on eggshells if she offered me critique because I'd be like, well, I guess I suck as a husband. You know what right. I mean? You say that five times. Gina never wants to critique me now because she loves me. And she doesn't want to hurt my feelings. So even in an employee situation, if I know that like, man, if I need to talk to an employee and make sure I, I sandwich it with compliments just right and make sure like I can't because I got I don't want to hurt their feelings. It, oftentimes people, it, I'm really talking to myself too. I can go into that victim mode of just like, right. oh, this is, you know, and it makes me feel bad when they do this. And so then you kind of go in this woe is me thing. That also de-incentivizes people to talk to you and offer you meaningful critique. Yeah. There has to be an open-mindedness, even in the way you view yourself and your self-value to understand like, nope, I'm intentionally made by God. You know what I mean? Like I right. can be confident in that and the critique isn't a threat to that. Yeah, and I think you can you, you can go, hey, I, I hear what you're saying. Like this has taken me a minute to process. Um, yeah. Like, can I, can I have some time to process this? Like right now, I'm not thinking about it straight. I hear mm-hmm. what you're saying. I don't want to dishonor what you're saying. That's great. Can you give me a minute, like, That's just a great to, you know, to kind of process yeah. it? You yes. know what I mean? So, yeah, let me let me be totally honest. So when I portray Mary and I having conversations, you probably picture us sitting at a table like this talking. <laughs> Promise you it's not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's 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 not. We're not we're not mean spirited people. So it's not ugly fighting, but it's like we're both frustrated. We're clearly yeah. frustrated yeah. and we're both arguing. I mean, like, we're, I'm like, well, I don't agree with that. You know, this is my mm-hmm. perspective. And she's like, well, I don't agree with that. And we go back and forth and then when we split up and process it in prayer and like, and the way the Holy spirit works where like you leave a meeting thinking like, I'm a hundred percent right. And then you get in your vehicle and the Holy Spirit's like, no, no you're not. not. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, but then you come back later and you go, you know, I learned. So like, yeah, you're right. It might not be the, the immediate moment where you're just sitting there going like, Hey, critique me. Oh, yeah. so Isn't good. this great? <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much. It's, it's having that humble heart to just go like, God, what do you want to teach me? Yeah. That? What do you want yeah. to show me? In that? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, guys, let's keep moving because we're getting into the we're going to get into the hardy part of this here in just one second. Not that what we've not talked about has not been hard stuff to process, but um, moving into uh, verse one of chapter six. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God and of instruction without washing or instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead the internal judgment. 
Okay, so here's his call to get back on track. So he says, you are, are dull of heart. You're not paying attention. Like, you've not grown. Um, there's his, This is the positive side where he's turning. He's like, don't, don't succumb to that. He's like, let us move beyond that. And he's not saying that the fundamental teachings uh, that he rec- that he says there, like he's not saying that we don't need to remember the foundational things right. and that we don't need to keep those things in front of us. He's saying we don't need to keep going back there and having this being the main focus of what we're doing. Like, right. yeah. like we've got to be able to mo- accept this and allow it to be a help, but not the, the main focus of what we're doing. Like we've got to move yeah. beyond yeah. that. So. It's foundational. But it, there's so much more that can build on it. Right, right? exactly. Like keep saying it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And picking up in verse 3, And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible in the case of those who once have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain and that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and it ends in its end is to be burned. All right, so these may be the most controversial passages in the entire New Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and what it says, what it seems like it's saying on the surface, and we're going to explore this in greater detail, it's what we're going to talk about here. What it seems to be saying is that for those who have once partaken in the faith, those who have once um, joined the church, those who have once prayed the prayer of salvation, those who have once uh, been filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they walk away from their faith, it is impossible for them to come back. So it seems like that, that they can walk away from their faith, and it seems like it's impossible for them to come back to repentance. So on the surface, mm-hmm. that's kind of what it sounds like it's saying. What? Let's talk about what it's really saying. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so I know Matthew, you and I, we've had a couple of discussions now leading into sure. this, and yeah. and both of us have kind of studied it a little bit. But I want to start with Pastor Michael, and what do you think this means? Sure, <laughs> I was just joking. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was looking Bro, to see like what the. Oh my gosh! I'm sitting there like I can try. <laughs> I don't know if it's gonna be what you're gonna say. Okay. What I love about Michael though is he didn't say no. Yeah, he doesn't hesitate. He was like, I wasn't about to say no. I'm like, like All boy, right, we're gonna do this. <laughs> I'll give it my best. All right, <laughs> all right. So sorry for for the ju- Michael. Was, Michael's had a heart attack. That, that was terrifying. <laughs> and, and and not to pull away from the seriousness, seriousness of the passage, that but was good. Um, the reality is, is like there there's probably four or five different theories. Mm-hmm. That that scholars have come to with how this could be interpreted, interpreted right. or or translated or, or or brought to light to our understanding, and and there are some good and there are some not so great, and and so in, instead of us going through like every single one of them, let's just hit on kind of where we've landed and yeah. and what we think the writer of Hebrews is trying to say to us, and and Matthew, we've had conversations, so why don't why don't you go ahead and kind of break down. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to reference a couple of the arguments only to give context to what I want to say. Um, so basically in the church world, when it comes to salvation, there's there's three major camps, and each one of these have subcamps and, sure. and nuances yeah. to them. Three major camps about salvation. So like one camp would be that you can be saved, but you can walk away from your salvation or lose your salvation. So mm-hmm. if you don't continue in faith, continue in an ongoing relationship, 
then at some point the relationship with you and God is broken. Eternal life is not guaranteed. So that's, right. that's one group. Uh, another group would say if you enter into an authentic salvation experience with God, then your salvation is secure for eternity. God secures it by grace. There's another camp that would be what's considered like the Reformed group. Calvinist is, is oftentimes a group uh, labeled. And, and they have a, an eternal security perspective, but it, there's a different route to it. It's that God saves you. He Irresistible grace. He's going to sustain you. Mm-hmm. And so like you'll never be able to walk away because God is sovereign and he's basically um, controlling that. Honestly, that's the only way I can word it. You were predestined for that. Yeah. So you couldn't right. possibly walk away from. Yeah. yeah. So he determined ahead of time. He, he called you. You couldn't resist that. He yep. saved you and he's going to secure you for eternity. So like those are the three major camps. I think where the tension is and the problem is, and this is what we've discussed throughout the years, all three of us have discussed it. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it just in light of com- coming to this Bible study is I think that at times we get too caught up into that discussion and we miss really the heart behind scripture. Right. When you are trying to find the bare minimum of what's required and, and that, that looks like questions when you're saying, can I lose my salvation? Right. Um, can a person, what, what can you do and still be saved versus like, what, what is there a breaking point? Right. When you're asking those questions, you're not asking the questions that Jesus is answering. You're not answering, mm-hmm. asking the questions that scripture is answering. Scripture doesn't have a concept. Jesus never had a concept of a person trying to ride the line and barely make it into heaven. Right. right. Like that's just not his heart. So like it, I actually picture like you see it all throughout scripture. So I'm 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 making my own assumption here, but you see like all throughout scripture these people would come to Jesus and they would they would try to paint him into a corner by asking a bad question mm-hmm. and he would come back with a better answer, a parable, right. something right. to to say no, like you're asking the wrong question. And I, I feel like that's what, like, if we were to go to Jesus right now and say, can you lose your salvation? I don't know that he would answer that question. I mm-hmm. think he would say mm-hmm. things like, I came that you might have life and have it to the fullest. Right. Right now and for all eternity. Mm-hmm. Like, the questions you should be asking is not about where is the dividing line. And I think sometimes in theology, we use, like, these scriptures to go like, ha you're wrong, and you're wrong, and I'm right. And then you get to the next verse, and they look at you and go, but what are you going to do with that part of the verse? And right. you're like, ah. What, yeah, we're, sure. what we need to see in Scripture is the heart of God is always, He wants us to be in this mature relationship mm-hmm. to receive blessing now and therefore security into eternity. Right. So like, I'll, I'll give one last uh, comment, and then you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. I remember years ago, I was speaking on Matthew 25. It's, it's a passage where, where Jesus is talking about the end judgment. And in this parable-like image that He's giving, so He's, he's talking about the sheep and goats being divided and basically the idea of some are going to go into eternal life, some are going to be destroyed. And he's given this image. The group that gets rejected is shocked by it. Like right. they are shocked by it. They're like, wait a minute. We thought we were Christians is the context, right? Mm-hmm. And and I remember when I preached on that, like afterwards, it terrified people. And mm-hmm. it is a terrifying passage yeah, of scripture. Yeah, like, yeah. And I remember people asked me like, how do I know? And I, and I simplified it and I did a follow-up message to it on a sermon on it like a week or two later. And, and here is my heart that I've, I've, and I've even taught this same type of sermon multiple times, where I said the only person who should have security that they're, that they're in relationship with God and are going to have eternal life is the person who continually says yes to Jesus. Mm-hmm. If you find yourself saying no to what he's commanding you to do, I don't think you should have security. I don't think you should be comfortable in that. And I'm not even being militant about saying like, oh, no, you have lost your salvation. I'm just saying, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like right, that feels yeah. dangerous you to me. You should think take about this. Yeah, you should just look at it because you can have security. You don't have to have insecurity. You can have security, but security requires you saying 
yes to yeah. all that he's commanding you so that you can experience the fullness now that will lead you into eternity. Yeah, and I think and I think where people come from and I think their heart behind finding the bare minimum is, is this they want to feel secure in in some ways. And I, I don't know that that's a bad thing. Like and, and right. l- sure. let me say it this way. Like we want to understand that because the reality of our lives are that that we follow Christ, we still struggle. We fail, we fall, we mm-hmm. we have seasons where we're like we're struggling to be obedient because what God is asking us to do is hard and it's taking us. Uh, we we understand that that God calls us to be obedient, but we're struggling to get into that mm-hmm. that space. And and so where does that leave us? Like where does a passage like this leave us if we are in that space? And and I think what we have to rest on and what we've talked about even in the last Bible study, mm-hmm. like we have to understand that the grace of Christ is so deep and rich and wide mm. for those who desire to be like Christ, those who desire to walk yes. with yeah. him, for those who want to become like him, he is patient and he understands that we sh- are going to struggle to, to, to have that become a reality of our lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if you're comfortable with riding the bare, line, bare minimum, if mm-hmm. you're comfortable with riding the line, if you're comfortable with this place of like, oh, I'm okay. Like I, I can go right. do this sin because I know God will, will save me or God will uh, save me in the end because he'll forgive me. I know that I can go do whatever I want to do because I don't have to grow to maturity. Like, like he says here, like, I don't have to bear fruit. I don't have to, I can, yeah. it's okay if my life doesn't really mm-hmm. play out the way that the, 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 that Jesus says it should, sure. like, I don't have to be a disciple. I think there you should be scared. Like, absolutely. you know what yeah, I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, I think that's the clarity of it is where's your desire? Where's your heart? Because if your heart is like, I just want the bare minimum, then I think you you are not living New Testament Christianity. Yeah, you're on unstable mm-hmm. ground. Yeah. You're building a house on a foundation that when the storm comes, it's going to destroy it. Right. So you're not living the life that's going to survive here on earth, and you're not living a life that's going to survive for eternity. So the writer of Hebrews, I mean, when you look at the language and what he's been setting up this whole time, so in the earlier chapters, he, he quotes the, the Psalms where he says, today if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Right. So he's talking about like, don't be this person who hears the voice of God, ignores it, hardens your heart. Then in this passage, he's like, don't just stay in the fundamental things. And mm-hmm. then now he's like, and if you've tasted of God and you're living in God, don't then turn away. I mean, like he's covering all the bases of yeah. saying like, you should have an ongoing, active, submissive relationship to God so that you can experience the blessing that he's offering you. Yeah, absolutely. Every time, I think that's a really great way to say it. When I, Anytime I've read this passage, I've always read it as almost a logical reach about like how broken we are as humans, not so much this punitive aspect of God. It's like, man, if you could know how good God is and still walk away from that, that's how do you come back to it? You know what I mean? Like if you could, because there's nothing new to to introduce you to bring you back into it. Like I remember when I got saved, I remember being filled with the spirit and how powerful that was to know that, to walk away from it. That's what brought me back the first time. What's left at that point. I Mm -hmm. know what it's like to walk with Jesus. And that's, it's always felt like a cry to me of like how broken humans can be, not necessarily how punitive God wants to be and that, that he wants to withhold grace to us. I think it's more like a logical look at humans and how we operate of like, is it even possible for a human to know this and to be like, no. And then to be like later, well, maybe, you know what I mean? To reject it once you know it. So for me, I, you know, and and maybe that's wrong, but how, how I've always viewed it is not this sense of like, God wants to be withholding or God wants to be punishing or God's like, oh, you messed up that one special time and now it's over. I just more think it's one of those things that I never want to be the person who knew what it was like to be filled with the spirit and to walk with God and to say no. And mm-hmm. I, and, I go, and going back to what you guys said like right. that, I think that's the fear that if, that if that is this place you are in your life where 
that is a scary place to be where there is no security. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not the kind of life that I want to live. I want to, I, I want to, and in response to knowing God and walking with Jesus and being filled with his spirit, I want to say yes to Jesus as often, as often as I possibly can. And in, and in that I'll feel secure. Yeah. Right. Not so yeah. much these like a uh, specific rule or a promise. Absolutely. Well said. I mean, the, the imagery that he gives here is, it, I think a lot of people recognize he's in some ways using the imagery of the people who actually were responsible for crucifying Jesus. So like mm-hmm. if you picture this mm-hmm. crowd, so Jesus comes here on earth. He is God in the flesh. I mean, we know that from scripture, but even the writer of Hebrews is, has communicated this. Jesus is God in the flesh. He does miracles. He teaches. He loves like all of that. That crowd experienced that and yeah. rejected Jesus. Yeah. They're the ones who cried, "Crucify him!" They're the ones who rejected the, the religious leaders. So for them, they had that experience, rejected it. So there is no other salvation provided for them. You know, like right. I, I think about what Peter and John wow, when they were taken good. before the Sanhedrin. Yeah. They were like, "There is no other name under heaven by which men are saved." Like, right. like yeah. there, this is the only option. So that initial group experienced Jesus, rejected wow. him. So they're yeah, on you a walk with Jesus. What are you right. expecting better to happen at this right. point? Like and that's so literally he's the same thing. Yeah. He's saying like so a person that comes later and has this salvation moment and walks with Jesus and then decides to reject it. As long as you're walking away from Jesus, there's no other salvation out there. Yeah. Right. So I don't I, from the context of scripture and understanding, I, I really don't believe what he's saying is if you're saved and then you walk away you're forever damned. Right. Like you can't walk right. back. Right. But I think he's just saying you have to have a moment. It's like I, I worded it to you earlier this way. Like if you are heading north, you will never be heading south. Well, that's actually a bad example. If you're heading east, you'll never head west. Because if you go north and you cross over. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. East heading, and west works the same way, but you get the picture. I don't know. Does it actually, though? Yeah. East comes around the west. Like, no, you're, if you go east, you're always heading east. If you go north, you will eventually be heading south. I feel like I'm holding a sneeze right oh, now. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I say that is I heard a sermon one time where a scripture says your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west, and the person said east and meet. west never touch. North and south does touch. Huh. So anyway, so... Sorry, if, I didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you. Yeah, but if you're heading east, you'll never be heading west. Sure. Right? Yeah. Are you tracking with me? And, and so, like, if you're heading away from Jesus, you'll never be walking towards salvation. So he's saying, like, there has to be that moment where you just become secure and no my life will always be found in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like, and so that is the person here on earth who goes, I'm not going to walk away and try to experiment and find life somewhere else. My life is found in Jesus. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I think the writer yeah, of Hebrews is, is stressing. Yeah, yeah, I, agree, I, agree. I agree with Michael. It's not a, a punitive image of God. Right. God's not like I, one of the worst images. It's a children's image, but it's Santa Claus of making a list and checking it twice. Like it's a, a yeah. horrible concept. Like <laughs> he's watching you all year. And if your bad is worse than your good, you're, you're getting, getting cold and you're cold. stuck. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think sometimes we apply that to God and it's mm. not, God's not up in heaven making a list, checking it twice. God is rooting for you to have yeah. abundant life. I don't think life. he delights in punitive measures. He doesn't. You know right. I mean? no. yeah. Nowhere in scripture does it tell us that, you know? Well, yeah. right. Yeah. You get into the, 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 the main, like the, the heart of who am I as God, where he describes himself He's described as slow to anger, abounding right. in steadfast exactly. love yeah. to the thousandth generation versus I will repay evil f- the fourth and fifth generation. Like, right. Yeah. You can't escape the the difference in the numbers, Absolutely. right? You yeah. know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, Super good. Yes, there is judgment. Yes, there is a consequence for walking away from God, but like... Yeah. The, the, His grace is new every morning. I exactly. Mean, like, the, the imagery he gives over That's and over so is like... I mean, even the fact that he gave us the law and within the law, he gave us a system to receive forgiveness. Right. right. As a God who's like, here, I'm giving you laws. I know you're going to break them. 
yeah. but I still want you to be in a relationship. That's a God yeah. of grace. That's a God who wants you to come back to him. Exactly. Why the writer of Hebrews would say, be careful that you don't fall into this perpetual state of, right. of complacency, this perpetual state of walking away from God, mm-hmm. because the offer is life. Like, right. the offer is life. Yeah, so, super good. All right, so verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things. Here we are, mm-hmm. grace. Things that, can be, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise of God. So, okay, hope feels like, he he talks about hope here a lot, like uh, having the full assurance of hope. That can seem like this kind of like this ethereal thing, like it can seem kind of out there. What is meant when when it says that that we can rest assured and, and we can be earnest in the full assurance of our hope until the end? Yeah, I mean, our hope is in eternity. Yeah. Our hope is that there will be an eternal life. And, and in eternal life, what we what I oftentimes try to stress to the church is eternal life is not a continuation of the brokenness of this world. To me, that would not be a gift. That would be a punishment. If right. I had to live eternally, I mean, it's really, we go all the way back to the fall. When Adam and Eve fell, the conversation amongst the Godhead, as they talked amongst themselves, which is a crazy image, yeah, but yeah. as they talked, they said, They've now eaten of that tree, but they still have access to the tree of life. Let's remove them from the garden so that they don't live forever in yeah. that brokenness. Yeah, right. So eternal life, there's not going to be sin or temptation to sin. There's not going to be death. There's not going to be sickness. There's not going to be stress. There's not going to be anything that causes grief. And so like that's our promise, and it's secured in us by our relationship with Jesus Christ. How we have full assurance of hope, though, is learning to persevere right. in, in faith and obedience. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, that's what Paul says in Romans 5, where he says, we rejoice in suffering, knowing that suffering produces uh, perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope that will not disappoint us. But the image is the person who learns that through temptation and struggle to keep trusting in God, keep trusting in God, that person has full assurance of hope. Yeah, yeah. The person who gives up in, pers- in, in struggles and in suffering and in temptation and just follows things, that person doesn't have full assurance of hope. It, mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's a circle conversation, what we're having. Like mm-hmm. You come right back to it of going, should that person that gave up have confidence for hope? Probably. No. Or no, sorry, no. No, yeah. probably not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, that's super good. I, and, I th- and I think, you know, it's foreshadowing. I think we're going to get to it here in a second. It's the idea that, like, we have hope that secures our soul. Like, that's what we yeah. have. Yeah. And, and that versus, I, you know, I've got that verse tattooed on me. You know what I mean? Because it's like, it's one you of mean that literally? Yeah, I really do. It's like, yeah, it's, I've had an anchor big on the oh, inside right, yeah. of my arm that has that, and it's like, and it's and it's one of those things that it's this constant reminder of. I think often it, it's it's a reminder to stay focused on what is actually going to sustain me. I think oftentimes yes, in my own mind, that's the key. I run to everything else. Yeah, if I'm feeling, you know what, you know what I get really stuck on is I do like I'm kind of in like a I'm trying to like you know, like do fitness stuff and try to get healthier, and a lot of times I'll run to like motivational stuff if I feel mm-hmm. unmotivated rather than relying on like discipline and like more mm-hmm. healthy things, I'll try to get motivated for something. But I do that, that's a small example, but I do that in every way in life. If I'm mm-hmm. struggling through something, I wanna read a self-help thing. 
I want to go to a blog that I like and read somebody else's yeah. thoughts on it. Yeah. Where the reality is the only thing that gives me any sense of eternal security, the only thing that actually gives me peace is having hope that Jesus did the work that he did, that I have access to that every single day of my life. Yeah. yeah you know? And that puts the hope on Christ and, and the yeah. hope on yep. the, that his word and his promises are true. Yeah. Not, yeah. Not yeah. on anything else. Not on, right. not on a prayer, not on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, not like, on my actions. You know yeah. what I mean? Not, yeah. It's really just him and the work that he did. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, um, that kind of leads us to verse 13, and we're going to be wrapping this up here uh, as we get into these last few verses. For when God made a promise to Abraham, and he's just kind of what we finished up here, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Hmm. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two, by that, so that by two unchangeable things, it, it, which is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement told fast to the hope that's set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. All right. So it's exactly what you, what you just said. Like mm -hmm. our hope is the, the promises of God that they are sure. And it's not just our hope for, um, it's not just our hope for eternal salvation. It, it's, it's our hope that we can stay faithful, that we can be like in your example, we can be motivated because, yeah. and we can and we can respond in that faithfulness because Jesus was faithful. Yeah, because we yeah. can trust God's word. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I love how powerful, like the way that's written is. It is a anchor of our soul. Yeah. yeah. Like, what is the thing that literally tethers me in place? What is the thing that gives me hope? What is the thing that gives me sustain? It's not, or that sustains me. It is not anything that I could do in my own strength. Right. And that's where I think there's so much power in it because this is kind of a, at times performative saying, no, you do need to do the right thing. You know what I mean? The, yeah. In this passage, yeah. you know, which is great, super important, but to end it on that note to say, but keep in mind, like your hope is not in your performative action. It's in the work of this, the salvation work of Jesus and right. which is the most freeing and liberating thing that literally the work that he did by going into that inner sanctuary before mm -hmm. us by, by, by the work that he did, that is what gives me hope. That's what yeah. anchors my soul that that I don't have to live in this broken body forever, that I don't have to live in my broken state forever. Yeah, and your ability to walk out in maturity, your ability to respond in faith, your ability to do the things that God is doing is found only in correspondence with your relationship yep. with Jesus. Man. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it's good. not something that you kind of muster up yourself. Um, and, and this is where like where the, the whole conversation of grace and works and of grace mm -hmm. and obedience, sure. like how it all kind of, kind of comes full circle. We are reliant on the spirit of God in our lives yeah. to, to keep us working down this path that, that we have to participate in. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. My, my failures keep me tethered to God because I have mm -hmm. to keep running back mm -hmm. for grace. When I run back for grace, I experience his presence, which brings clarity and empowerment to go through life. And when I fail, I run back for grace. Like it's just this constant thing. And, and I, and I even love the image where it's like, God, you know, he swore by himself. You yeah. Know, it's like, cause he is the highest standard. He's, he's okay. going to always follow his word. You know, I, I think about there's a, a, a passage, honestly, I can't remember the exact story, but there's a, a story in scripture where an angel brings a message from God and delivers to someone and they go, 
Uh, like, how do I know that's going to happen? And the angel's response is like, I'm an angel. I was just <laughs> in the presence of God. Yeah, like they, they, they yeah, right. They said, I, I just came from heaven. Like, yeah. like what a dumb question. You know? Oh, man, that's good. And, but I think like that is like the thing of it is yeah. like when we remember like these truths came from heaven, yeah. like the, the word of God came to us to let us know these truths and, and who backs it is God. So mm-hmm. God's like, if you will stay connected to me, all what the writer of Hebrews is saying, if you stay connected to me, you receive grace from me, you walk in obedience to me, here's my promise. I'm faithful to complete the work I began in you. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's his promise is that he began the work, he continues to empower the work, and he'll complete the work. But he does it when we just su- submit to him. Yeah, that like that promise, while it's something that I have to participate in that promise, that promise is still not contingent on my actions. It is readily available regardless of what I do. I didn't... I didn't make, you know, I didn't do the work of Jesus that stands by itself. And it's readily, readily available for me to put my hope in and to put my faith in, in any given moment. And that is like such a relief that I don't actually have to go do the labor of finding my salvation. And it's applied by your surrender and your surrender only. You know what I mean? Like think about all the things that God asked you to do. Doesn't, isn't the, the, the only real step there, like for us in that moment is, Okay, God, I'll do what you want me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Like if if you're facing a difficult thing where you're like, I don't know that God is going to come through for me. I don't know that like I don't know that I can be obedient here. I don't know that I have what it takes to mature to grow. Like I don't know that I have the time. Like in the right. end, the the only choice that you're really making is, will I surrender and trust God? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Super good. All right, guys, great conversation. Any any final thoughts, anything else that, that you have on your minds before we close up? No, nope. sir. Yeah. All right. All, good. all right. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. I pray that you have some greater clarity on one of the most difficult passages in the New Testament to read. And, um, and again, it, I always encourage people, go study, read, Man. read more, find out more information. Um, and if you got any questions, email us at info at the tree dot church, and we'd be happy to help you process through that. But, uh, but I hope that this has been an encouragement to you. I hope it helps you, um, establish that God is trustworthy in his promises that you can surrender your life to him, surrender your decisions to him, surrender your every day to him and follow after him as you grow to become more like him. We love you. Thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week.